Hello and welcome to the Seville Productions Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, Rupert McConnick, founder and EP at Seville Productions. I'm delighted today to have on as guest Kim Morota, Head of Environmental Sustainability at Beam Suntory. Uh, welcome, Kim. How are you doing today? Hey, Rupert. Great to be here. Thank you. Wonderful. So I'm just going to jump in, Kim. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background and career before Beam Suntory? Absolutely. So I have been with the alcohol industry for almost 20 years. And in that time, I've had the great fortune of leading sustainability at several different businesses. Um, before I joined alcohol industry, though, I was a lawyer. I know it's not the traditional path to sustainability, but I practiced criminal law for about 13 years and really kind of cutting my teeth in the public defender's office. But today I serve as the head, as you mentioned, of environmental sustainability at Beam Centauri, um, which is one of the world's largest premier spirits industries. And, um, and I'm focused on really driving environmental sustainability in our business. Wonderful. So, so what attracted you to the position at Beam Centauri? Obviously, it's a, you know, it's a, a global uh, headquarters in Japan, I imagine, isn't it? Yeah, our, yeah. our headquarters are in New York, and then we also have some offices in Chicago, but then, of course, worldwide and very close connections with Centauri, who's our parent company That's based what in I Japan. Got it, yeah. So what attracted you to the position of being Centauri? Well, other than the fact that I think it's the world's best job, <laughs> it's one that you're know, really fortunate to be in, working at a CPG company that has great brands and a really long-standing commitment to sustainability. I joined just about over two years ago in uh, June of 2021. And earlier that year, Beam Centauri launched what we call our proof positive strategy. But we've had these long-term commitments. We really hadn't put them in writing and put out a strategy or report to help support our commitments and our target. So I came in at a time where we're really focused, have long-standing targets in all of the areas of proof positive from nature to consumer to community. And really, you know, it was able to come in and hit the ground running. It's a great place and a really great role. So tell us about Beam Centauri's ESG impact and what are these, what are the sort of the targets and mandates and everything like that? Absolutely. And just, you know, backing up for a second, I know you often hear about companies having a commitment to sustainability, but just to give a sense of what it means to beam Suntory and to Suntory Holdings, it's really, really connected to our values, which obviously connects to our culture, starting with Suntory that has a commitment to what we call growing for good. So as our business grows, we want to make sure that society, our planet and nature also grow for good along with us. So when you take that and you talk about ESG, it's really, you know, I can't emphasize enough core to everything we do and what we stand for. And along our nature positive pillars, we have commitments in the water area, in climate, in packaging, and then in agriculture and in, and in forest. So just to give you know some practical examples and talk a little bit more about it, when we look at our agriculture or what we're doing in the fields, it's about regenerative agriculture practices. And we've started pilots in various areas, one of which that we're really excited about is this new pilot in um, Mexico. Our Casa Salsa tequila is uh, distilled in Mexico. And obviously relying on really great quality agave is important to the tequila industry. 
It is also an opportunity for us to implement regenerative agriculture practices, which is essentially planting a native vegetation in between the rows of agave, which helps us sequester carbon in the soil, not only you know helping improve the quality of the agave that we're growing, but then again, having a positive impact on the nature. So one of many examples that we're doing from agave to barley to corn um, and to wheat all across the world. What are the big brands? I mean, obviously, I'm thinking Jim Beam, Suntory Whiskey, obviously, I'm guessing. You know, tell me what the big brands are, because I think that's good to be able to put that in a sort of perspective of of what you guys do, because normally holding companies have quite a few in their portfolio. Absolutely. So when you think of Beam Suntory, obviously, you think about Jim Beam right away. But then, you know, Makersmart and uh, Basil Hayden and Knob Creek and Bookers, Bakers and Little Bookers are part of our whole JBB co-brands. But then outside of North America, you can think of Canadian Club or Scotch Whiskies, everything from Glengarry and Auchentosh and Bowmore and Laphroaig. We also have Irish whiskeys and tequilas, as I mentioned. Um, and then in France, we also distill Quavassier. But of course, our fantastic Japanese whiskeys from Hakushu to, um, you know, Roku Jin in J- Japan uh, and the like. But really fabulous premier and premium spirits all across the world. Wonderful. So, so Jim Beam, is that, you know, is that all sustainability made? And from, it's obviously Kentucky. So, you know, it has to be all made in Kentucky and stuff like that, right? Is that, is that how it, it works? It, yeah, it is. And, you know, a lot of times consumers will say, why does a spirits company, why does an alcohol company care so much about the environment and care so much about nature? But if you think about our products, we're really so wholeheartedly connected to nature. So the Beam family when they chose Kentucky hundreds of years ago as a place that they were going to start to distill bourbons and whiskeys, really chose it because of the great limestone water and also about the ability to grow corn. The early bean families started growing corn. They were corn growers and they recognized the importance of corn to bourbon and, and recognized the importance in that Kentucky region. So you can go back hundreds of years and see that really strong connection between our products the quality of our products in nature, whether it be the water, whether it be the ingredients like corn, um, and whether it be just a really strong connection to the planet overall. And then obviously the the Japanese brands like Suntory Whiskey, that's obviously, you know, very famous whiskey. I think it was the, I think you guys started the whiskey. <laughs> Suntory literally were the inventors of of Japanese whiskey, I believe. And uh, and it comes from, you know, water, special water and the process. And it's all very um, organic and controlled, right? Is that right? Absolutely. Just the importance of nature to our Japanese culture, our Japanese business, and then all of Suntory is just so integral. So when you will see pictures or think about Yamasaki or Hakushu, the distillery, they're located in pristine, beautiful forest lands and really pristine and high quality water. You can't have that quality, that premium taste without that water as a really strong foundation and basis. Right, because that's what differentiates it. It's the literally the ingredients, right? And it the is the ingredients. And all of those things, which is actually what creates the taste, right? And then absolutely. And then Japanese whiskey is an interesting one because it's like Kentucky bourbon, right? You can take, you can't call a bourbon bourbon unless it's made in Kentucky. Am I right? I'm pretty sure that is right. It has to be yeah, more than fifty percent corn. You can't call a Scotch scotch unless it's you know distilled in in scotland so all of our products are so local they're so rooted in you know what nature provides in those areas and that's what makes them you know so unique and really extra special 
Right. And, and Japanese whiskey has a challenge, right? Because it's, there's a huge demand. But a lot of it, I mean, Suntory is made in Japan. But I read somewhere that only 7% of Japanese whiskey is actually from Japan. I don't know if you know that. I was, I was kind of blown away by that stat. Um, really? So, yeah. So they're all like other people mixing stuff using the techniques, but they're not actually doing what you guys do, which is kind of what makes your brands unique. Because Jim Beam has got a process, you know, Suntory whiskey has a process, but a lot of Japanese whiskey doesn't have a process. It's actually because they didn't have enough of it, right? That's what I was told. Was I read somewhere? They That's literally didn't. Have, they literally didn't have enough, you know, because it takes what a decade or more to to for it to mature. So the, I think the growth happened about ten years ago, and then suddenly everyone's like, "Well, where are we going to get it from?" So there was a sort of mad scramble of other brands, not yours, which are not quite so authentic. So I think that's, you know, so presumably that's a big part of your marketing and your branding, right, is that you are really an authentic brand, whereas many are not, you know what I mentioned. Absolutely. Authentic. And then the commitment to quality, I kind of mentioned that, and it, it's worth just kind of reflecting on it again. We call it Manazakuri, but yeah. it really starts with the Japanese whiskey and the Montezacuri commitment to quality and looking at every step of the, the distillation process from, you know, the maltings and how we actually look at floor maltings and all of the processes and how, you know, everything that is all the technology and all the investments. But it comes back to that Montezacuri, that importance, the commitment to quality at all costs. And that you know, transcends the entire Beam Centauri business as well. We have Montezacuri brand teams that are focused on, you know, really focusing on Scotch or really focused on Maker's Mark and taking what we've learned from Japan, from Yamasaki and Hakushu and bringing them, you know, worldwide to our products and our great spirits. Wonderful. And I'm sure the consumers that you market to, like presumably millennials, they want an authentic experience. They want to know where the Jim Beam comes from. They want to know where the Suntory whiskeys come from and so on, right? I imagine that's yeah. a big part of, of what you're trying to do, right? We're really excited about it. And I think we've got just fabulous opportunities because two of our brands, for instance, Maker Smart and Sipsmith are B Core certified, which is really unique in the spirits industry and one of the you know first brands in these areas to lean in. So, and again, it speaks volumes to that commitment to nature and commitment to society. And what we're, we're seeing is, well, consumers love Maker's Mark and really enjoy the quality and the taste. They may not right now know about Maker's Mark commitment. They might not know that all of the wheat is, you know, regenerative or, you know, that we're looking at really great practices with our farming techniques and just, you know, our water and what we're committed there. But when you tell them about it, when you invite them in, when they recognize that it's part of the purpose, they really feel a better connection to the brand. They're more apt to want to drink that brand and associate with that brand. So I think we have potential everywhere from Ardmore to Lafroy to Maker's Mark to Yamasaki. When we really make that connection, it's going to be the sweet spot. And we're really excited about what the future holds. That's wonderful. So, so why do you think brands have a responsibility to contribute to social impact and ESG issues? You know, it's kind of coming back to what I was mentioning before. It's really not just the right thing to do, but a good thing to do. It's the right thing to do. You know, you can't have, as I mentioned, you can't have great high quality Jim Beam if you don't have high quality limestone water. Or we can't make tequila in Mexico if we don't have water available for the long term. Or if we're not really back connected to the white oak and all of the other products that we rely on. So it's critical for us 
that we have a positive impact on our nature now, so we can have products that can be enjoyed for future generations. Um, so again, it's not just something that we put on a paper. We're a privately held company. You know, we're not trying to appease you know the street. It's really just part of our business, part of our long-term plan, part of our long-term objectives in our future. So tell us a little bit more about ESG's, you know, impact, ESG impacts. You know, what, what have been the results of these things? You've you've put in place certain initiatives, but how is that, what is actually, what's that, what are the measurable results? I think that's what I'm trying to get to. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate you asking. Maybe I'll take it off by a couple pillars and give some more concrete examples. Sure. So I mentioned that we're focused on water. And water is integral to all of our spirits and just to the quality of water and the farming practices that we rely on. So when we look at water, it's about not only reducing the amount of water that we use to produce our products, but it's really protecting the watershed that we rely on to um, supply water to our distilleries. So from our reduction standpoint, since 2015, we've been able to reduce our water usage by almost 50%. And, you know, it's hard, you know, I'm sure your listeners are thinking, well, what's 50%? Well, it's almost 900 million gallons of water. And that's just in our own distilleries. A lot of it comes from investments, like we invest in closed loop cooling and new technologies. But some of it also comes from just culture changes. When we recognize the importance of water, the criticality of water for our long-term viability, you treat it different. You recognize it as a resource, a precious resource that needs to be preserved. And as I mentioned, our watersheds. So we've looked at where we have this um, distillation and other production sites. And we know that, you know, that relationship, symbiotic relationship with water. So how do we ensure that we have long-term availability in India? How do we ensure long-term availability in Mexico and even some areas of Scotland and in France? So we're protecting those watersheds, replenishing the water that comes into those watersheds and enhancing the biodiversity. Um, we're also building natural water sanctuaries. So while we might not have a water crisis per se in Kentucky, you know, the water, the limestone water that we rely on is so critical. So we have a great partnership with the Bernheim Forest that has provided a natural water sanctuary, helping improve the quality of water and the biodiversity of the land in that area. And that's just water. But, you know, certainly right. as we go into, yeah, into climate, we have set net zero commitments by 2040 and really near-term commitments by 2030 to reduce our, our scope one, so what's happening within our own operations, our scope two, which is essentially purchase electricity, and then scope three, which is across our entire value chain. If I had to pull out one example that we're most excited about right now, as we invest in our expansion efforts in our distillery, which we refer to as Booker No in Kentucky, which is one of the largest um, bourbon distilleries in the world, we have made a $400 million commitment in that expansion which also includes an anaerobic digester, which is going to help us reduce our greenhouse gas emissions by over 50% just in that distillery alone. So again, some examples of commitment to water, commitment to climate, but we're also committed to packaging, reusable, recyclable, um, and what we can do in that area. And then I mentioned our forest and our field, planting more trees than we use to produce our barrels and making sure we engage in regenerative practices. Wonderful. So how do you convince the C-suite executives to see the value in ESG work? You know, it's fantastic. And I know this is going to sound a little trite maybe to your listeners. They didn't have to be convinced. Um, That's one of the fantastic parts about coming over to Beam Centauri. Um, You know, I talked about it being part of the values, part of our really, our proposition as a company. So when I came in in 2021, 
it was from the CEO at Beam Centauri to the CEO at Centauri on down, one of the strongest commitments that we've made. So I had the pleasure of just coming in and taking the wheel and helping build out the strategies and helping out build out the platforms with the C-suite that is engaged and supportive and protective and really wants to see, you know, these strong commitments and these long-term goals uh, put into action and really see success. So it's a fantastic place to be. And that's pretty good. I mean, you, there's those kids in Montana that have, have won that lawsuit on climate change, right? So obviously, young people care about this and young people are your potential customers. So there's obviously a natural fit there that you're selling a quality product and and young people will... Um, particularly, you know, Gen Z and the millennials, I, mean, I hate putting people in buckets, but, you know, young people are really committed to this because they're the ones who are going to be most impacted because, you know, older people obviously won't be around. And I think that's an obvious thing, right? <laughs> it's quite literally <laughs> your, your customers want it, right? So millennials want an explore, explore, you know, authentic experience. They want to know where it comes from. And they kind of want to know that this is all real, but it's not greenwashing, you know, and all that stuff. You know, I think that's that's interesting. Absolutely. That connection. I mean, whether it's young people or, you know, any of the generations, but particularly young people, as you mentioned, they also, they want to be associated with a brand that represents their values and their concerns and realize that there's a protection of the future together. So whether, you know, it's the wildfires that we're seeing in Maui right now, or, you know, changing weather patterns that are bringing more hurricanes and cyclones and, you know, all the rest, how do these brands that they love and really hold so endeared to their hearts, really make a commitment and really help protect the future for them and their kids and their kids, you know, so for generations and generations. And it's also, I mean, it's kind of people adjusting to the, yeah, I think part of the problem, right, is <laughs> post-World War II, everyone wanted a steak every day. And maybe mm -hmm. that we should have a say once a week kind of thing. And maybe it shouldn't be priced so cheap with industrial farming that it has this impact. And that's part of it. And in fact, luxury products <laughs> are actually the area that is very sustainable. It's all the disposable stuff, which is the, the issue. And I think you hit on a really neat topic that we didn't talk about. When you think about luxury or you think about premium, because we want to be the world's largest premium spirits company. Yeah. A lot of times people that aren't engaged in sustainability might think can't be premium and sustainable at the same time. Because they think you have to do without in order to actually be premium. But, you know, I would challenge everybody to realize you can be premium and sustainable at the same time. You can create really beautiful glass bottles that still are right weighted. We like to talk about the right weight of the bottle as opposed to a light weighting. So what's the right weight that might take some glass out, might put more recycled content, so less energy to produce it? but still a premium design and a premium experience. And you can see it across all luxury brands. It's not just spirits, but if you, you know, Hermes has beautiful um, handbags and pouches that they use that are made with, you know, more uh, sustainable leather or alternatives to leather. Um, or Chanel, when you think of those premium lipsticks, they're recyclable and refillable and reusable. Or, you know, think about the Tesla and, and different examples there. So um, it's a great opportunity for premium brands. So it continue to lean in, and really help you know blaze new paths and new opportunities and innovation that uh, might not be in the market right now. You need one good jacket. That's Patagonia's pitch. You just need one that lasts forever. You don't need ten jackets that you throw away every season, which is absolutely a problem. Right? And I, I remember when I was a kid, right in England, you know, we had one TV. It didn't change for ten years. We <laughs> had one fridge. It didn't. Change. Now it's all designed to be. You can't. You know. 
as soon as you buy a computer, it's out of date in two years and you have to buy a new one. And it's set up that way. That's that's the interesting thing. So, uh, so how can brands communicate about sustainability in an engaging way to consumers? Because I, I'm just going to say, I think sustainability has an image problem. I think it's the dullest word on the planet. It's yes. a, if you said to me, how's your marriage? And I said, it's sustainable. You'd immediately be like <laughs> disengaged at the very least, if not just slightly appalled. And it's it's the other thing is you know everyone talks about we have a, we're going to have a circular economy I'm like nature's pretty circular um, right. it's almost like people are creating these words and it, it just feels that the word literally I mean this kind of uh, I'm just qualifying this question sustainability is not very relatable to a lot of people how, how do we address that because what you're actually doing is great but the phrase sustainability I think makes people it turns into a snooze fest you know I think people uh-huh. just blazing over. I completely agree. And I mentioned before, you know, I was a lawyer by background before I came in this area. And then I'm surrounded by people that are all doing sustainability all the time. And sometimes you just look at each other and like, what are you talking about? So we had a meeting earlier this week with one of our brand house teams. And it's exactly to your point. We sat down and said, let's just talk like we're in the pub with someone. Let's figure out when we're talking about circular economy or regenerative agriculture, let's just talk about we're protecting our soil health. You know, we're working with our farmers to improve their livelihoods. We're making the water quality around these farming so much better. So you can fish and you can swim and you can vote. Then people understand. I get it. But when you start talking, you know, in complicated terms, like what, what's the difference between regenerative agriculture and sustainable agriculture? Who cares? You know, we're doing good for the environment. We're doing good for nature. Let's bring our consumers along. Let's have them understand that importance and connect. And I think it's up to, you know, people in my role in sustainability and with marketing and our brand house teams just to make it so much more tangible and understandable. Because then you'll recognize the importance and how, you know, as a consumer, the role you can play as well. And I think that's, that's I, I just think sustainability has an image problem. It's like, uh, it's a simple problem <laughs> with a very lot, a lot of complex solutions. It's, it's like World War Two, you know, World War Two, right? Going to get rid of three totalitarian regimes. And then everyone who didn't like one another, you know, politically different spectrum, everyone had to get on <laughs> to solve it. And there were like 200 or more things that all had to happen at the same time. And I, I always feel that's a little bit like, you know, the the, the climate change issues and, and sustainability issues we're, we're dealing with. It's, it's actually, we all know what the problem is, but the solution everyone gets very lost on. I think. I totally agree. And I think if you just talk about, you know, the changing weather patterns, it's touching each and every one of us, you know, woke up this morning and turned on the news and talk, you know, heard about, you know, more people in flooding in the East coast of the U S and more death. And it's, you know, it's a constant. And when people can recognize those changing weather patterns and the connection to them and how the role we need to play and certainly all the other crises that we're facing and make it come along, it doesn't need to be a political discussion. It's just protecting the planet for future. So so are there any misconceptions about environmentalism that you've learned while working at the forefront? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, my I was just thinking about your your comment about fertilizer and then, you know, and maybe this kind of comes back, then ties it back to the misconceptions and bringing that and just repeating again what you're saying is that for so long, you know, the farming industry really relied on fertilizer to produce the yields and to destroy the past and all the different things that you said. And that was... A, you know, a misconception that we are going to get better quality and, and really, you know, be able to produce, you know, better corn as an example. 
one of the pilots we're doing right now, it's, called, it's what's called Pivot Bio. So what we're doing instead is um, actually spraying the seed with a non-synthetic fertilizer and then planting that seed in the ground for the corn. And what we've seen, now it's only our first year of the pilot, is obviously we reduce fertilizer and nitrogen substantially, which will be better for the soil, better for the water, better for the environment. But the corn, when we've gone out, you know, I'm a, a Wisconsin girl, so knee high by the 4th of July. Well, we're going to have to change that to thigh high by the 4th of July and, you know, waist high by, it was unbelievable. And just the size of the ears and what we're, what we're seeing. So we're excited about looking at things differently, not always doing things the way they've always done, but also investing. Because you can't just go tell a farmer, you know, how to grow corn. They've been growing corn for decades. How do we listen? How do we partner? How do we help invest with them so that we can try new practices, take some chances and see if we can do better than we've done in the past? Wonderful. So so what advice would you give young professionals at the beginning of their career, particularly obviously in sustainability? Yeah, have fun. You chose a great career. Um, when I came into this area a whole bunch of years ago, it was really, you know, new to me. I was, uh, I didn't quite understand the area. As I mentioned, I was an attorney, so I hadn't had a background in this area, but it's a constant learning. And so if you like to learn, if you like to lean in, if you like to be challenged and you like to make a difference, whether it's for a corporation, a nonprofit organization, a governmental organization, it's really a great career to be in. So um, consider yourself fortunate. Uh, rely on others. It's a really great collaborative area. I'm often picking up the phone and calling someone at another company or another organization and just saying, what are you doing? Or how do we collaborate? How do we scale up? Um, but really have a good time and good choice. So um, so thank you very much. It's It's been lovely having you on, Kim. And we've thank learned you. a lot about sustainability, particularly the fact that it's a terrible word. <laughs> needs to be another word and uh but thank you very very much for coming on and you've been you've been very educational and helpful so thank you thank you rupert and how about the word being nature positive that i like that i love that i think that's, <laughs> that's much better we should rebrand this kim we'll work on it <laughs> have a great day i really appreciate you having me on Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Seville Productions Purpose Podcast. Learn more about Seville Productions and our work in the Purpose and Sponsored Entertainment space at www.sevilleproductions.com.